This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producers are Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry. Our guest this week is a familiar guest. James Andrew Miller is the best-selling author of books on ESPN, CAA, Saturday Night Live, the host of The Origins podcast. He's been a guest on this podcast many times. We're going to talk about what ESPN in 2021 will look like and the importance of the NFL to ESPN regarding the upcoming media rights negotiation. But we're taping this podcast on the morning of January 7th after, quite frankly, one of the one of the darkest days for democracy, certainly in my lifetime, I, I would imagine almost anybody's lifetime, and uh, and truly one of the worst days that the United States has experienced in, in some time. I'm not a historian, and I'm not going to equate it to wars or anything like that, but domestic terrorism at, uh, at its highest level, and if you were watching the images on television, it was it was awful to see. Uh, Jim, before we get into our ESPN talk, which kind of seems mundane compared to real world, real world issues, um, you worked, I believe, in the U.S. Capitol for a couple of years. I know you wrote, I believe you wrote a book on either working at the Senate or you can sort of explain it. But, you know, people know you for your work on sort of entertainment books. But before that, you, you were in politics, correct? I'll, I'll give you the floor here. Uh, I was, yes. Uh, my first book was about the Senate, and I uh, worked there for several years. It was the greatest job of my life. And um, what senator did you work for, if I could ask? I worked for Howard Baker when he was Senate Majority Leader, so I had the uh, distinct honor, as they say in the Senate, of uh, walking onto the Senate floor every day, several times a day, and particularly in the morning when we st- when the uh, boss opened the Senate, usually at 9.30 in the morning. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's something that people who work in that building and work on the Hill feel. It it sounds kind of corny, but, uh, you know, it's just a really special place and it stays with you. And so yesterday was a fundamentally sad day um, to think about the, the disrespect and the horror that was involved um, I mean, obviously, since, ni- since 1816, 1814, in the War of 1812, um, since then, no one has uh, terrorized that building and invaded that building like it was yesterday. And this isn't a matter of politics. This isn't a matter of, like, you know, whether you believe in this kind of policy or not. This is about democracy and the respect for our democracy and our institutions and our beautiful buildings and and the lives of those people who were serving at that time. Uh, it's just shocking. So I want to ask you about that. Um, when you saw the images of um, 
you know, broken windows and uh, paper strewn all over the floor and people sitting in uh, Congress people's offices and people walking through those halls with uh, with weaponry and and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Could you put your mind into, you know, you, you like in another universe, Jim, 20 years ago, whenever it was for you, 30 years ago, like you, you would have been one of those staffers. You, you would have been. You would have been getting the call that the the Capitol is in lockdown, and and here's what you are instructed to do. And like, I can't even imagine being a 25 or 28 year old staffer thinking, "Oh my God, like, is someone coming to kill me today?" Right. Well, I mean, I think you at that moment you're you're think you're probably thinking less about. I mean, you're thinking about your safety, but you're also just in shock that this could even happen. Um, I, I guess there's going to have to be a almost like a 9-11 level investigation here because there was it was no secret for weeks that this was being planned. And the one thing that I came to, to learn and to really appreciate about the Capitol Police is they're just they're amazing people. And the, the level of security when I worked in the Senate was, was fundamentally different, but the Capitol Police were always there, and they just, they, they, they were this wonderful group of people who really cared about the building and really cared about everybody inside the building. And there was a very, very thin membrane around inside the Capitol to deal with those people. And you saw the numbers that were, you know, coming up on social media and then in the mall area the day before. And it just was shocking and sad. And we have to kind of trace the pedigree of what actually happened on the, in the other way, because I felt like a lot of those people were, they were utterly defenseless. And I think I think there's going to be some serious revelations about some of the things that should have happened that didn't happen. And, and they're, all, they're going to be people that are going to have to answer some very, very difficult questions about why certain things weren't done. And sometimes things are rather innocuous. You know, Esper leaves as defense secretary and they say, oh, a loyalist, you know, comes on as the new defense secretary. Nobody barely even knows his name. But when the call went to the Pentagon for a backup, uh, and initially, it was it was there was a no. I mean, what is that all about? Again, this isn't about. This is literally not about politics. It's not about. It's not even about whether you're a Trump supporter or not. It's about our institutions. It's literally the lifeblood of our democracy. And so, it, it, it's just we have to be a very very careful right now at this time because. Uh, this, these are the scenes that we used to see in Latin America and other parts of the world where we, it made us carsick. It made us, it was morally repugnant. It was exactly what the United States was founded to, to, to be a symbol against. And, and now I worry about those countries and particularly authoritative regimes looking at us now and thinking that and, and using that against us. How can next time we go on a mission to protect democracy in some country someplace and we're trying to safeguard their elections, uh, what are they going to say to us? Um, it's just uh, the repercussions are, 
just multi-layered and will be with us for a long time. This is this is not over just because those people are out of the Capitol and outside the, the, the Capitol grounds. This is this is just beginning. This is something that we're going to have to deal with for 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 years and years to come and get smarter about. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, we'll make an awkward transition, but um, yeah, there are some things about this that I agree with you that are not. It's not about the politics of the moment and the go beyond politics, but but politics lit a lot of these fuses. Politics has radicalized a lot of people, and I mean, I'll tell you one thing. I don't mean we, to we got a we got a yeah. Go ahead. I'll tell you one thing. I am. I feel lucky as hell, and I was talking with a couple of friends who worked in the Senate at the same time I did. When I would walk on the Senate floor sometimes with Senator Baker, you you know, you look over to your right, and there was Paul Laxalt and Teddy Kennedy laughing together, and they were they were good friends. I mean, everybody, it was a place where every single morning, we, the, the objective of the Senate, and particularly the majority leader office, were to get things done that day. And it was all about... You know, I remember two o'clock in the morning, Senator Baker and Senator Dole and Senator Moynihan, like Republicans and Democrats, trying to do the Social Security Rescue Act to get it saved and to get it done. And everything was eventually, you know, operated between the 40 yard lines to make sure that things got done. And there was an enormous level of respect that members on both sides of the aisle had with each other. And I mean, I had worked for a Democrat before with Baker. Nobody asked me what nobody ever asked me. Senator Baker never asked me what party I even belonged to, what I belong. What, there was no oath test. Um, it was it was just an extraordinary time. And yes, obviously, it had its problems and there were mistakes made at time, but in terms of the decorum and actually the DNA of the Senate as an institution, it was just, uh, I feel, you know, I feel, I feel bad for people who don't, who, who can't remember or don't, who don't know that, that, that it actually used to be like that. Mm, well, that's well said. And how about those NFL rights? Yeah, I know. <laughs> we, we got, uh, we got some ugly times ahead of us. Uh, hopefully there's light somewhere. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right. So there's no really great way to segue to um, to talking about sports media, but we will um, we'll do it anyway. This um, it's a big year for ESPN, Jim. 2021 um, NFL rights are on the table. The sports calendar has changed because of because of COVID. They have um, they have laid off a ton of people, uh, including some. I mean, institutional uh, markers there that I think fundamentally change the culture of what that place is. They have cost. They're going to certainly make a clear move to cost savings by doing more games uh, from studios or broadcasters' homes as opposed to travel. Um, so we'll take a big, big, 
big picture question to start here. What's ESPN's biggest challenge, in your opinion, in 2021? What's Jimmy Jimmy Pitaro's biggest challenge for this upcoming year? It's so easy. That's an easy question, and we're going to know the answer very soon. It is to, and it's Bob Iger's as well, it is to shove as much toothpaste in the tube, back in the tube as possible, on the last NFL deal. And basically what ES, what Disney's message to the NFL is, is we did a $53 billion deal. We've been spending $1.9 billion a season. We got the fourth worst schedule. It looks like they're going to wind up, I, I would guess, and I've said this to you before, I think they're going to wind up, you know, probably staying with Monday night, but it all comes down to schedule. And they need to get a better schedule for their money. And so I think that what's going to happen is, you know, we're going to see. It's going to be very easy to figure out who won in the sense that is ESPN going to get a better schedule and probably, uh, as we've talked about, the opportunity to flex later on in the season like NBC has, uh, maybe not exactly as many games, but is, is, is the Monday night football package going to be upgraded significantly? And that means, and by the way, everybody's paying more. So the NFL is still in the driver's seat. Everybody, let's just start at 30,000 feet. Everybody wanted to come back to the table. Everybody wants more of NFL. Remember, there was just all this talk about NFL ratings are down. Who knows what's going to happen? Everybody wants the NFL back. Everybody's at the table. Everybody knows they're going to pay more. The question is, is Fox, NBC, others going to have to pay more? but not get the guarantees of the schedule that they're getting now because once you keep Thursday night, which I think is still the greediest move that the NFL ever made, there just aren't enough good games to go around. And so you have to rob Peter to pay for Paul, and you're just going to have to – so if you're you're outside Disney – and if Disney gets that upgrade, that means that you're not going to – you're going to be spending more money for – uh, games for, for less guarantees on games than you had before. And that, to me, is, is what I want to see coming out of this, is, is, is how are they going to make it up, quote-unquote, to Disney and ESPN. And the thing that I loved the most about uh, writing Those Guys Have All the Fun was going back and deconstructing the negotiations that happened between Disney slash ESPN and the NFL. Because remember... ESPN used to have what was called the Sunday night cable package. NBC was out of the football business. Bornstein, Eversol came back in. They worked out an agreement. Dick got primetime Sunday night game. ESPN got Monday night football. And George Bodenheimer, with all due respect, he was thrilled about Monday night football because he thought that he was getting – Monday night football that he grew up with, with, you know, Howard and Dan and that amazing schedule. They didn't get that. What they got was basically their Sunday night cable schedule. And when the first schedule came out, I mean, I heard this from numerous people. I mean, people at ESPN were in shock. And when they started to realize that, and that, that premier prime time, big, big visible Monday night, ABC Monday Night Football schedule went to NBC on Sunday night. That that is 
such a powerful, powerful shift. It, it's, it's just, uh, you can't say enough about it. And so for years, ESPN has suffered with that schedule. And yes, uh, there have been some years that have been better than others, sure. But if you were to take the totality of the Sunday night schedule since the last deal versus the Monday night schedule, it's, it's not even close. It's not even close. Do you think that... Ahead, uh, yeah, it's okay. Do you... Um... You think if ESPN retains Monday Night Football and gets part of the Super Bowl rotation, I think that's considered enough of a win. If let's say the schedule essentially is the same, there's not a you know you've talked about inventory. I agree with you. I don't think Thursday Night Football is going anywhere. There's too much sort of money at stake there. But like let let's just leave it at that. They they retain Monday Night Football, but along with the retention, they're part of the Super Bowl rotation. Is that is that enough of a win for Pataro and Disney? Uh, you got to tell me the number. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, I don't know what the number is going to be, except it's just going to be an increase on what they're paying now. Right, but if it's an increase of X versus an increase of Y, for me, the disparity between X and Y has to be strength of schedule. So, I mean, I think that they're going to they'll get into the Super Bowl rotation, and I think that they they'll probably, if I had to guess, they'll get some flex, which will be important. But if they really get that upgrade of schedule, then whatever they're going to wind up paying uh, will probably be a win for them. And, and, and Bob and Jimmy will be able to walk away and say, we have a fundamentally different next eight or 10 years, whatever it's going to be, than, than we've had before. So yes, we've upgraded. If they don't get, I mean, if there's for some reason, this is how you can define success for them. If they don't get in the Super Bowl rotation, if they don't get flex and if they don't get a market improvement in the schedule, then I think that this round of negotiations did not turn out so well for them. It's yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting analysis. And again, without just in terms of sort of talking to people in the industry and sort of reading what other reporters have reported, I, if you ha- ask me today, I think every existing rights holder is going to re-up and there probably might be an additional package created for an Amazon type. Might not be Amazon, but but I think everybody's going to retain. Nobody wants Thursday night, so Amazon can have Thursday well, night. Here's the, here's the, here, <laughs> well, here's the like... one thing, though. You think? Do you think if the number was right, and again, you know, the, the number's with a B here, but if the number was right, you think you think Disney would would do a Monday night slash Thursday night deal and really go all in on two football, two primetime football games a week if it's... I, listen, I don't even know what that number is because we're talking just astronomical numbers to start with, but like that ESPN, and I'd have to change a little bit of their programming, but like, you know, that would... If, if Pataro's goal via via from Disney, which seems to be the case, has been retain the NFL, improve your relationship with the NFL, which I think they've certainly the latter they've done, they're not doing nearly as many investigative pieces, by the way, in the NFL. Just I'll make a side note there. Um, I don't know, Jim. Like the, you know, to to have two that if if your if your content play now is to sort of make it, you know, we we want to go as heavy on the NFL as we can. We're invested in all this college inventory. We have the NBA. We have you know far less feature writers now, but newsbreaker types like um, like Woj and Schefter. It's not the craziest thing to think that they may go for an extra game, even if Thursday night football is 
not the greatest property. And Thursday Night Football, Jim, on network still brings in $13 million. That'd be the best program on ESPN every single week by far. I don't know if they want to spend that money for. Uh, I don't want. I don't know if they want to spend that money for a Thursday night. And also remember, on Thursday night they can't put it on ABC because that's too disruptive to the ABC ecosystem. Uh, you know, you have scripted program. You have a well, whole. You, fo- you agree, football you have, would, football you know, will blow away the scripted programming though. Right now, unless it's a mega hit, right? I, I, I understand. Um, by the way, you should look at the top shows of of 2020 and uh, go on a treasure hunt for a scripted yeah, exactly. program. In the, in, in the, but but I still think that that's that's too fundamental uh, a statement. And by the way, do you, do you, do you, as, I, I mean, as a funny as a little funny game here? I, I don't even know if this is still on. Do you know what's on Thursday nights on ABC? By the way, I didn't know until I just googled this. Station Station 19. Have you even heard of that? Oh, right. Station 19, right. Gray's, Gray's Anatomy? Uh, well, of course. I mean, Gray's Anatomy is, you know, that's a big show. It is, but I bet, I mean, without checking, and, and if someone's listening to this and I turn out to be wrong, I'm an idiot, I, I bet you Thursday Night Football beats Gray's Anatomy in 2020. Don't you think? But but the, but the, there's the other considerations too because it's about the affiliates. It's about the opportunity to move around your schedule. It's you know years ago NBC, I think it was Jeff Sucker who ultimately made the decision. By the way, Gray's Anatomy getting crushed by Thursday Night Football. Apologies, Jim. I just yeah yeah. I mean it's not. I'm sure it's not even close. <laughs> but remember when they stripped Jay Leno at ten o'clock? You know, because yes. they were going to try to figure out the new ways, to, and 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 that didn't that that wasn't a success. I mean, there's still there are look. There's going to be changes in the next few years about that whole scripted system and the economics of of how they deal with the affiliates and original programming and everything else. I just think that I. I I don't know. Maybe maybe ESPN would do it, um, but it would be no. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I, yeah, it, like I agree with you. I think that would be that would come down to cost, and I think so much of that would be about like what does the NFL have in terms of uh, you know in terms of other suitors for Thursday. I think Fox wants clearly wants out of it. I don't think there's a question about that. So that's one to watch. Again, I, that's not based on any reporting. That's just me sort of spitballing into the wind. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The other thing I wanted to sort of get on and when in terms of 2021 is what ESPN is going to be doing, Jim, they're going to be doing a lot less people uh, now. And so, you know, what do you think that means, one, to sort of one, what they are, and two, and, and I know you talk to people there, like, what does it mean to the culture? Because you're, you're a whole, I mean, I, I feel like one sort of major sort of thematic part of your book was like the culture of ESPN and like working there and how people felt about being there and they invested their lives to move to Bristol. And, you know, in some ways it was a family, in some ways it was a cult. Now, given the, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's just like any other company. It's still a destination job, but, uh, but man, the staffing levels are a lot different in 2021 than, 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 than even like 2016. Well, of, of course. And look, part of it is just the simple arithmetic of going from, 
a hundred million homes paying seven or eight bucks a month to seventy-seven million homes or seventy-eight million. Are there there have been a lot of people that have been let go, and I think that there have been incredible names attached to those departures, but. ESPN will tell you, and it's true. If you look, there's still terrific people there. Uh, you just mentioned Woj. By the way, it's, it's inter- every time I look at Holly speaking yesterday. Uh, again, this is not about politics. Oh, yeah. you but just, it was, you th- you're thinking about you're thinking about Woj's uh, response, of course. I was thinking about Woj and uh, you know the bonus that he's due. Um, but anyway, um, I think that there are. Yeah, do you think you think ES- you think uh, you think ESPN is going to? Going to send him a check, uh, <laughs> post check, saying, "Hey, sorry about that." Yeah, I don't well, think so. Still, ahead. still a sitting member. He's still a sitting member of uh, uh, of Congress. That's, but, that's, but, that's uh, um, but, but I, but I do believe. Look, there's still a lot of great people there, and they're still doing a lot of interesting work. Um, but it's just different. It's just different. And and remember, the other thing is that sometimes a company mirrors its leader. And I think that that's something that people sometimes don't pay attention to. But, you know, when you're in that job, particularly at a place like ESPN, and particularly at the time that Skipper was in that job, where he was trying to be as independent as possible from Burbank and often didn't take, not often, but sometimes didn't take Burbank's lead on things and had a huge budget and a lot of control over that budget. I think that his interest in journalism, enterprise journalism, and uh, certain people, you know, he, you know, in a way, he, I don't want to say he collected people, but particularly with John Walsh and, and Skipper, they, they were on a buying spree for a long time. And you think about when John Walsh was remaking Sports Center. All of a sudden it's like, yeah, he's gonna take Robin Robin Roberts and Charlie Steiner and Andrea Kramer and Peter Gammons and then I, and it just started and it's like and it kept on going and it kept on going and it kept on going. And then all of a sudden you had like ESPN Chicago and ESPN LA and ESPN. those were growth years and they were unbridled. And there was a, there were a lot of people who made the transition from print, working for print organizations, to working for television organizations, and it was a dream for them. And I've talked to so many of them, and they loved it. And they were not only increasing their salaries, but they felt like they were at a place where there was tons of opportunity because you got eight thousand seven hundred sixty hours a year that you can, you know, you can play with. And then there was ESPN two, and there was this show, and everything else. Everything was expansive, manifest destiny. And then you get to a point, and I'm not saying that Jimmy Pataro doesn't honor or respect journalists or enterprise journalism. But the truth is that the dynamic changed, the equation changed, and you couldn't go on those buying sprees. And instead, you had to say goodbye to a lot of those people. There were a lot of people that came under Skipper who made huge changes in their careers and their lives to be part of that. And then when he left, they were... I would say defenseless, and a lot of their, a lot of them had to leave. I mean, whether or not their contract was paid out was almost beside the point because they didn't have another place to go, and they had already left the place that 
you know, they couldn't go back to the place, or a lot of them couldn't go back. So I think that there's been a lot of disruption. But but basically, what we're what we're looking at now over the last several years, and it will continue, is a fundamentally different approach to employment at ESPN. You know, I think Skipper was probably. ESPN was about 7,000 maybe at, at some point when Skipper was president. And now because they shifted sales and technology and the layoffs and everything else, you know, I mean, it's under, it's under five. That's for sure. Um, I, I think I'm right on those numbers. So it's, it's yep, just a different, yep. it's a different place. And a lot of those people close are gone. To, yeah. Close to four. Yeah. Close to, close, close to four, but they have, uh, you know, they have some, um, Seasonal or transitional or or contractual workers uh, that floats that uh, right, that, but the, that number, but the point the is that the engine, the engine. I mean, yes, yeah, we've yeah, gone yeah. from a uh, Porsche absolutely. to an Impala. Right. So let me ask you. The, here, here's here's so here's what I want to ask you, and I won't keep you for too much longer because I want to sort of intentionally make this short because I just I whatever I just I'm useless in terms of my current job now. It's just hard to focus to be very blunt with the with the audience. Um, so. One of the things that was always true about ESPN, and I know you saw this in your book, and let me just preface by saying we are all guilty of this. When I was at Sports Illustrated, we used to talk about Sports Illustrated like as if it was the coolest job in the world, and we were the shit, and it was a great place to be there. And you know, in some ways, the Athletic has that too. You know, you sort of you, know, you say you work for the Athletic, and you sort of feel a certain way. It's just a little bit different because the Athletic has all these writers spread out around the country. We're all virtual. Where at Sports Illustrated, you know, you'd be walking into a office across the street from Radio City. You felt like you were in the center of the world. All right. So I'm just sort of saying that as I ask Jim this question, I, I recognize I'm self-aware on all this shit. Okay. I'm sure it's the same if you work for Goldman Sachs, or I'm sure it's the same if you work for the Yankees. For a long time, Jim, having covered ESPN, there was like very much a swagger to people who worked there, like they were the cock of the walk. Um, I saw it a lot, quite frankly, in their PR department, not just on-air talent. So I know LaPlaca, Chris LaPlaca will be listening to this, or he'll, he'll have his reporter, you know, he'll be, he's a big fan of yours, Jim, so he will have somebody listen to this and report back to him. And he, you know, I think if he was, we put him on truth serum as the head of PR there, would agree that there was a swagger to that place, you know? When you do a, when you do a, um, when you do an upfront in the middle of Midtown Manhattan, and, and that thing costs you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you know Alex Rodriguez is on stage or Peyton Manning's on stage, you know I get it. You feel like you're the center center of the universe. So for a long time, there was that swagger there, and people who work there felt and 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 imbued that swagger. Sometimes you know that was annoying, but hey man, you know you you worked at ESPN. I get it. Here's what I want to ask you. Boy, that was a long-ass filibuster. Not a great job by me. So here's what I want to ask you, though. And that is, as we're sitting here taping this on January um, 7th, the week, by the way, the last week of Dan Lebertard's show and that group who are gone, um, Trey Wingo, not too long ago, is another very on-air person who was on this podcast, has left. Amina Hussein, some of you are not going to know that name, massive behind-the-scenes producer, creative force of NBA countdown, left ESPN to go to Peloton. A lot of people laid off, a lot of incredibly talented people laid off in the last couple of uh, last couple of years. Does that swagger still exist, Jim? I mean, is, is it, is it, is it, it's obviously still a destination job. You're still going to be paid very, very well, but do you know what I'm getting at? Like it, or is it just another place now, a cool place, but just another place? 
I well, look. First of all, one little tiny historical mention about the swagger. I, I think that remember, ESPN started from the most humble places as possible, and when ABC, you know, Wild World Sports and ABC Sports was the king of the hill, when ESPN would ask to even borrow a cable, they were they were they were kind of dismissed. And they were out in the middle of central Connecticut for many, many years, and they were, it wasn't even like, I mean, they were noticed. They were, people really, really shit on them. And there was a lot of, there there were a lot of lack of respect within the business for those people. So I don't blame any of those ESPN people who grew up in that era and finally were able to be, proud and strong about their job and their company. Uh, you know, you've got to have some historical context on that. Look, I personally think that regardless of the brand, I mean, some, strong, some brands are stronger than others, and you go in and out, and yes, Sports Illustrated is a great brand, then all of a sudden it's, it's not, or it's in financial trouble, and people get laid off there or whatever. But I think at the end of the day, those people who get to work who wake up in the morning and who are usually great sports fans and they're getting a paycheck for yeah being it's a lottery part. ticket job it, it, uh, it, as is mine it's I agree. A, it's a great it's a it's a great gig and you know is espn as uh, is the moat as big around espn as it was five years ago no and uh, so, but I think that a lot of the people you talk to people up there all the time. I think that they're still they're happy to be there. They're they're proud of their work. I think that they're probably not as cocky as before. I think I, I mean I had a senior executive uh, the other day tell me that look, it's you know it's it's not like it used to be, and it feels smaller and it feels you you, you just don't feel the power that we used to have um, that, you know, and he was, he was very honest about that, but that's because the industry has changed. It's not, it's not because all of a sudden there's a, there's a different and new sports entity that has taken the numbers away from ESPN. uh, And now ESPN is, is is that uh, you know is is kind of marginalized? I mean, people who work at CBS Sports and NBC Sports, Turner. I mean, you, you know, if you're working on the NBA show, Turner. I, I mean, you're you feel you got to feel really good about yourself, and you and there's there's great work to be done. So I, I I don't know. I think that there's a lot of people who still. I think there's a lot of people at ESPN who now don't take their jobs for granted. That's for sure. <laughs> for because for yeah, years maybe that's 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 very that's a very I'm sorry to interrupt you say that's a pretty smart that's a smarter way to look at it. I'm not saying yeah I wanted to pose the question to you I, again I'm I, I hope I made it very clear that it's still an incredible job and like you said you, the fact that you get to wake up and work in sports in itself is a privilege and incredible and then if you happen to be one of the the chosen few that's on air or you have one of these jobs where you're 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 traveling to watch games is incredible. But yeah, that, you know what? I think you just hit on it. I think the difference is, and this this has always been the case for anybody who works for a newspaper or something like that, is you don't take the job for granted anymore at ESPN. Where I think once once upon a time, you must have thought if you got there, I mean, maybe it's not a quote unquote lifetime job, but man, it's it must have felt like it was pretty close to it. 
Absolutely. Well, you were passing everybody in the halls who had been there for 20, 20, 25 years. These people, everybody, they grew up together. They moved to central Connecticut. It's not like Manhattan where there's 10 million people there. They're all seeing each other drop off their kids at school. You all, I mean, a lot of them lived within a 10-mile, 15-mile radius of, of the ESPN campus. And so, and many stayed. And so I think that... Uh, I, I think that that's something that now they look at each other and think we're survivors and we're lucky to be, we're luck, we're still, you know, we're still here and we're lucky to still be here. And I think that that's something that, you know, gratitude is, uh, gratitude isn't a big enough, uh, engine in, uh, in society sometimes. And, uh, I think that, that the fact that they're thinking that I think is a good thing, although it makes you sad about the others who have left. Yeah, I will say this. It was always uh, <laughs> this must have been a Disney thing or a holdover from ABC or something. But like, it's always interesting to me that um, there would be people, you know, uh, executives of ESPN who always sort of had the New York office as a bit of a either a hideaway or to sort of work there for a week. So you and you know, and now obviously we've seen some talent or we saw some talent there in the Skipper era negotiate to live in Manhattan or to live in New York. Uh, you know, while working for ESPN. So that was always kind of a, I always thought if you, if you worked at ESPN and you had access to sort of either uh, working in New York, either full-time or part-time, you kind of had it all. Cause you, you had, you know, you got to work at ESPN, you had the brand on your resume, but you know, you, you get to live in New York as opposed to having to make the commitment to go to the Connecticut servers. No disrespect to the Connecticut servers. It's just a different world. Not to get too deep in the ESPN culture, but that sometimes works against people too because there's a strong army of ESPNers who felt like those people who were working in New York and who were running off to New York, they, they really weren't. They, they, they really weren't. You know, they die in the wool ESPNers. And, uh, that, you know, you kind of get to a mentality there where, like, uh, I'm sure, you know, I, I don't think Norby spent a lot of time in, uh, in New York, for instance, uh, where no. it's like. Connor, Connor, Shel- Connor Shell did, though, right? Oh, well, Connor, of course, of course. <laughs> Mr. New York. Right, yeah. You're right. Yeah, no, no, I mean, and I have no doubt Norby is a, um, is a creature of, uh, of Bristol, Connecticut, and 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 Connecticut proper, and uh, you know, I would say that the product that exists today is a direct reflection of what Norby Williamson wants on the air. Well, sort of, th- that'll be a podcast for a uh, for another time. Is there anything else? Uh, is there anything else you want to uh, you want to hit on before I let you go? No, but I think that we're going to uh, be getting some NFL official news. I mean, there's rumors all over the place as always. But I think uh, things with the NFL will be um, sooner rather than later, and it's, we've been talking about it yeah. for for over two years, and it's going to be with us for for a long time. And uh, yep. you know, it'll be interesting to see how it how it works out. Yeah, and as a practical matter, by the way, as on a uh, as a as a, on a practical matter, what Jimmy Pitaro was asked or charged to do, he has done. They have a much better relationship with the league. They're in a great position in terms of uh, this upcoming negotiation. And they're going to be an ESPN. They're going to be an NFL rights holder. It's just really a question of what the the rights are. So in that sense, Jim, um, Pataro has succeeded. You know, well, that, as, and by as, the way, that's think, a, I guess as you'd agree with me. Well, that and that's a huge, huge distance from. I think if Skipper had still been there, oh, I yeah. mean, Iger would have overruled him. But Skipper didn't want it. 
Skipper, I agree. Skipper would have walked. He he just didn't think it was. Well, worth- he, well, he he yeah. I mean, he. Let's put it this way: he he might have or would have walked. Like, and I don't know if you could say that about almost any other media executive um, who sort of exists today with the NFL. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you know this world better than me. I whatever John Skipper wanted, I could not see Disney not overruling that. I mean, John Skipper could not unilaterally say ESPN's out of the NFL business. That I just you know, Disney's not gonna. I, I couldn't see Disney as a corporation letting that happen. No, but it would have been it would have been a very challenging negotiation yes. for right. for Disney and for ESPN and for look, I mean, it's not like Skipper's Lawrence Olivier. He would have had to pull some acting chops yeah. out to be sitting there across the table from them. All right. Jim Miller, you got anything to promote other than what I said at the top? Is there anything you want to promote? Just uh just working away on my next book and uh, trying to finish it. Do you, do you want to hear me end this show, or do you want me to hang up on you, say goodbye, and then I'll do my traditional ending? I'll leave it up to you. Uh, as I said in Princess Pride, as you wish. Uh, the funny, the one thing I will say, though, is uh, I got to, uh, when I started doing this book on HBO, I, I couldn't wait to talk about the birth of HBO Sports, and little did I know at the time, well, I kind of had a feeling, but now I get to chronicle the death of HBO Sports. So uh, yeah. that's... Um, Although they still have, you know, they're still doing some stuff that, you know, they got a doc coming out with Tiger Woods and they're still doing other stuff. But yes, it's not, I mean, compared to the heyday. Yeah, compared to the heyday of, you know, boxing and all that stuff. No, but they didn't even replace Peter Nelson. I mean, it's, you know, put a fork in it. All right, well, good, uh, good, good. Good luck in that uh, in that pursuit. That's going to be an interesting book. Your your book on HBO. All right, Jim Miller is the uh, he's the host of the Origins podcast. He's a best New York Times bestselling author on many books, and uh, he's a frequent uh, guest of this podcast. And we always appreciate his time. Jim Miller, thank you very much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks so much. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to uh, James Andrew Miller, as always, for his time coming on. Um, Thanks to, obviously, everybody at Cadence 13, from uh, Patrick and Sean to uh, Chris Corcoran and Spencer Brown and John McDermott. Um, Not an easy one to do today, just obviously given everything that's going on in the States. uh, It's uh, it's tough to watch, and, you know, I'm I'm always an American no matter where I live, and uh, I'm thinking about the people in in the United States right now. And all you guys listening, stay safe out there. Uh, previous episodes. If you like this kind of conversation, Renee Paquette and Shalice Manzi-Young were my last uh, podcast. Renee, of course, uh, for uh, eight years worked in the WWE as Renee Young, and she's always awesome to talk to. And we caught up on what she's doing. Prior to that, Jimmy Traina hosted the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast and Jane McManus, where uh, Jimmy and I discussed the state of NFL broadcasting and some other issues. And Jane and I talked about college football being played this year. Trey Wingo, Ryan Rucco, Muffet McGraw. Head down uh, the list of uh, former podcast subjects. Hopefully you will uh, find something that works for you. I want to thank everybody as always at Cadence 13 for their support and help. And uh, everybody out there, stay safe and be well. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.